Hey everyone, uh, welcome to another day in quarantine. Uh, I'm Ben Dunbar, one of the partners at Gerber Kawasaki, and again we got Brett Siffling here, head of the Get Invested program, going over a few things today. Yeah, so um, we got a we got a lot going on, and, and we'll try to get through it all. Um, a lot of clients and friends have been asking us to talk about these things, so that's what we're talking about. Um, so we're going to touch a little bit on COVID news, the market's wild ride this year. Uh, we've had some historical volatility. We'll go through that. Um, Brett's going to talk a little bit about the Bitcoin halving and, uh, Bitcoin going a bit down on that news. Uh, and then uh, we got unemployment and stimulus very quickly. And then, uh, the one question we've been having a lot on is the deflation versus inflation argument. So we'll, we'll touch on that quickly. Uh, just as a reminder, um, we may talk about individual companies or investments or themes. Um, with that, we always recommend consulting your advisor. Uh, do not take anything that we talk about today as a recommendation because we may own positions and our positions may change in certain things that we talk about. And with that out of the way, Brett, why don't you lead us off? What um, What is our latest COVID news? Yeah, it's a definitely an interesting time. We got, you know, some states that are opening up and then some states that are extending lockdown, like, you know, cities here in L.A. Uh, it looks like we're, we're locked up pretty much till July now. Um, but the number of new cases, you know, did rise uh, this week, about one and a half percent. But we are continuing this downward trend and flattening the curve. Um, which is really great. We actually, you know, in one day on Wednesday, administered over 300,000 tests. Um, so, you know, as we continue to get more testing, uh, we're going to continue to to see hopefully that we're we're flattening this curve and, and beating it. And New York, for example, is actually continuing to improve across all measures, which is wonderful. Our East Coast uh, brothers and sisters were, were hurt pretty bad by this. Um, California, uh, we're opening up some beaches now. Um, easing some uh, restrictions for retailers um, and around the world, you know, the, some one of the funniest ones was uh, South Korea had uh, it's not really funny, but they had a huge outbreak of cases from a nightclub, actually. Uh, apparently, this one guy spread it to five different nightclubs in one night. So talk about an epic night there. Yeah. Um, but it just shows you like the, the dangers of what one person can do if you go into these like crowded rooms or, or crowded environments, really. Um, so, you know, it's it's uh, still, you know, state by state, place by place. They're they're having a lot of, um, you know, issues, but they're also having a lot of progress. So it's definitely an interesting time. Yeah, I, I have a good friend uh, who lives in South Korea who, who moved out there and has been there for a bit. And uh, he's been talking about for a couple of weeks, people just been out and about with their masks. And, um, you know, that seems to be working OK uh, for South Korea. But obviously going to a nightclub with how contagious this disease is uh, or going to five nightclubs, which you know, I'd love to just have uh, more than a handful of people over at my house and, and let alone go to a nightclub. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I saw Wisconsin today and yesterday too. reopened their bars and the bars were crowded. So I'm interesting. I'll be interested to see if they have uh, an outbreak uh, after this. That's what's pretty crazy about all of this is is with just the general lag time. Um, you know, we're starting to see a spike back up, which is expected in Minnesota and Florida. Um, but it's interesting because we really don't know what this reopening is going to look like. And uh, it's going to be very interesting. 
uh, very interesting for sure. Yeah, and the market seems pretty optimistic. At least it was in April. I've had a little pullback this month so far. But yeah, what, Ben, why don't you kind of jump into what exactly you know happened in April? So, yeah, how, I, I don't know if you've been hearing, but uh, is it a V-shaped recovery? Is it a W-shaped recovery? Is it a <laughs> Nike swoosh recovery? What kind of recovery is it going to be? Uh, well, temporarily, it's had this quick uh, snapback. So we have some wild statistics for you. So March, believe it or not, was over the past 70 years, the fourth worst month for the return of the S&P 500, what a lot of people consider the market. Um, Market was down uh, 12.4%. And right when everyone was talking about things were going to get worse, uh, unemployment numbers were going to be bad, which we knew, everything was going to get bad. We came into April and April ended up being the third best month for the stock market. Third best month. It's amazing. And and this is wild because this is what happens during bear markets. This is what happens during huge periods of volatility. Um, you see these huge snapbacks and, and we definitely don't think we're out of it, but it's just wild looking how quickly things came back. And look, we are in historical volatile times. Um, you know, if you look, we're on pace to have over 90 days this year of 2% moves, which, you know, even in the financial crisis, we only had 72 of those days. So uh, overall, uh, you know, the market actually isn't down that much as of the end of May. Certain areas in the market uh, are down a lot more. Financial struggle, low interest rate environments, uh, energy continues its downward trend. Um, oil's not helping. Oh, yeah. Oil's not helping. Uh, you know, we're not going to get into the negative oil prices today, but I, I saw some pretty funny commentary that, uh, that explains that pretty well, which, which maybe we'll jump into another time. But yeah, uh, the market has basically been dominated by technology. Um, and it, it makes sense, right? It makes sense that technology is doing so well because these companies in a lot of ways are are already a set up to work remote and then b a lot of their business models are actually thriving in this environment totally and they're usually flush with cash they've got huge cash positions and in an environment with low interest rates they've been able to raise additional capital on top of that too for pretty much nothing exactly. Yeah, and, and I mean, we can go, we can head down the line for each of the companies, but, you know, there's a small little company called Amazon uh, run by this uh, this guy named Jeff Bezos, who, you know, maybe you've heard of the company, maybe you've heard of the name. And what's wild is this scenario was a perfect scenario for Amazon to capitalize on because what you have is you have businesses that were forced to be shut down. You have, you know, the malls, you, you have a lot of these, this retail that already wasn't doing well and, 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 you know, basically forced to shut down and Amazon still gets, still gets to operate. They're still delivering groceries. They're still delivering items. And so, you know, what is, has already been, what has been this dominant company in so many ways, like basically just completely ate retails lunch even more in just the past few weeks because of all this. Yeah, it's amazing that Bezos has this like unique ability that like any industry that he goes into, he's able to just massively cut costs and just outperform any competitor. It's amazing. Totally. And it's, it's, 
you know, I, I will say it's it's sad for a lot of for a lot of these companies because again, they Amazon in some way was able to escape a lot of a lot of these rules, a lot of these laws um that were, you know, forced on uh, forced on small businesses and and forced on all these companies and was able to capitalize and so I, I think the frustration on, on Amazon is is well founded for sure, uh, but yeah, absolutely. And like, I, I feel for these small businesses. We've obviously had record rates of unemployment. We can kind of talk about that now. We've had over 2.98 million Americans uh, filed again this week uh, for the week ending in May 9th. Um, you know. Another crazy statistic for you is people that were making less than $40,000 a year in February, by March, 40% of those people have lost their jobs. Think about that. If you're making $40,000, you, you know, four out of 10 lost their jobs. That's incredible. Like it's, it's heartbreaking. Um, and that brings this total unemployment claim over the past eight weeks to 36.5 million Americans. Yeah, it's it's a bummer and and I what I will give the government credit and and you know, there's certain people I will give credit to at times, certain people I won't, but I won't name any names. Uh is the majority of these people are actually getting more money than they were making before. Um I just was talking to someone today that that was the case and uh I was talking to another business owner who is having trouble using these loans that the government has provided because a lot of these employees are actually making more from unemployment than they're making before. Now that is going to come up uh, in July uh, unless we have another stimulus package come, which is likely the case. But look, it's, it is a very challenging time for a lot of these businesses. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out in, in the next three to four months. Yeah, I mean, I've seen um, some studies that saying up to 50% of people that are on unemployment were actually making more than than what they were working. And so it creates this weird issue where, you know, the business owners want them to come back so they could get their loans forgiven. But then the employees don't want to come back because they're actually making more money just sitting at home. And, you know, I, I do can see this number continue to climb. Like filing for unemployment is actually decently hard. Um, you know, these websites are not easy to navigate and, and the rules are especially not easy to navigate. And so, you know, I, I can see that people that didn't know how or that they could file um, continue to boost this number. And it seems, you know, to me that they're pretty much approving anyone. If you worked in the past couple of years, it seems at least I haven't really heard of anyone that's gotten rejected. Um, but it's definitely in a, you know, an incredible time. And now they're even accounting for independent contractors and business owners who weren't even paying into this benefit in the first place just because this is such a unique emergency. Well, it's interesting, too, with those on the 1099, the contractors, there's, there's new guidance that's coming out every day on what's going to make these loans forgiven, right? So there's, there's constantly every day there's new info and, and all these people are trying to navigate these these loans and are trying to figure out should they start spending money, should they not? Obviously, these loans are at very low interest rates, but you don't want to spend the money and expecting to for it to get forgiven, and then all of a sudden <laughs> you gotta pay it back, right? Would so it that, be fun? Yeah, I mean that's what's interesting with the 1099 contractor specifically because like they don't have employees, they don't have those necessary payroll costs except the payroll costs themselves, obviously. So with that, it's 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 clear. I mean. We have some states opening. We we don't know 
kind of what the effect of that is. We see on the other spectrum, California and Los Angeles especially, making a commitment to shutting down more substantially. And so with that, it looks like our federal government is going to come out uh, with some more stimulus package. Yeah, they're talking another $3 trillion. Um, It could come as soon as this Friday, tomorrow. Um, you know, uh, the Fed chair, uh, Powell actually warned that the economy could be less with some nasty scars unless the government does step in with more emergency aid. Um, and he's, I feel like done a, a pretty decent job navigating this given the circumstances. Um, but a lot of people think that this package, it won't be passed with three trillion dollars. It'll likely be whittled down likely to about a trillion or less before having, you know, a chance to pass the actual Senate. Yeah, one trillion, two trillion, five trillion. I mean, <laughs> it's just remember when a trillion wasn't even a real number. <laughs> like it used to be like a billion. Spending a billion dollars was a lot, and and yeah, it's it's completely a different time. And and with this package, there's there's so much in in it. Get talking about potentially getting uh, rid of the cap on the salt deduction, which helps a lot of the high tax states like California, and New York. Um, there's a lot more into it, but with that, you have um, the crypto people that have started to re-crawl out of, crawl <laughs> out of their, their little holes as we've seen Bitcoin climb, uh, climb a bit higher. Licking their wounds, of course. Yeah, and so uh, I, haven't, uh, I haven't seen the Bitcoin 100,000 12 months from now like I saw back when Bitcoin was at 20,000. But um, there is some really interesting things that are going – well, I should say not even things – thing that's going on with Bitcoin right now. And, and that's the Bitcoin halving, and a lot of people have been asking questions on that. And, and Brett, I know you have uh, a lot of friends, a lot of connections in the crypto space. And why don't you talk about what that halving is and um, you know how it's affecting the market as of now? Yeah, I've gotten a ton of questions on this. Um, a lot of people thought that this was a scenario – the halving that would boost Bitcoin. And so what happening actually is, if you don't know, it happens every time um, someone mines or people mine 210,000 blocks. And uh, Brett, you- hold on, hold on. Take a step back. My mining. Okay. Last time I, last time my brother, he's a contractor. And when this Bitcoin bro was talking about mining, my brother thought he was talking about actual mining. So, so, gotcha. so what, what does mining right. mean? So um, in order to send Bitcoin or um, to each other, you have to basically confirm with the, this system and computers or people are basically running computers to solve very advanced mathematical problems that only high powered computers with a lot of energy can solve. And when they solve those, new blocks or new uh, Bitcoins are actually given to that miner for supporting the actual network. So you have all of these people from, you know, people in their basement that are running a few computers to hedge funds who are running, you know, warehouses full of these things all over the world who are trying to generate Bitcoins. And the it, it takes an insane amount of energy um, to do so. And what happens is... Bitcoin wrote in their code that every so often, it happens about every four years, but every 210,000 blocks that they mine in Bitcoins that are given to them, they cut the reward that is given in half. Um, And so, like, for example, the initial reward, if you mined a block in 2009, was actually 50 Bitcoins. 
Okay. Wow. So forty thousand dollars, basically, in today's realize. terms. I didn't is, realize it was that much. Crazy. Which was a lot of money. Where the current Bitcoin reward before this last happening was twelve point five coins, and now it was just reduced this week that the halving was completed to six point two five coins. So ultimately, what this does is makes it harder and harder to run a mining operation. So if you're, you know, almost like a mom and pop shop of the mining world, you're likely going out of business because it just costs too much now to actually mine those new Bitcoins. And this system is, you know, set to continue until around the year 2140, um, where essentially that will be finished. Now, there's only 21 million Bitcoins in existence, and that's super important because because there's a set amount, people believe or say that this could be a store of value. There's a very famous hedge fund manager, Paul Tudor Jones, actually, that came out this week, too, that said that he put, you know, 2% of his hedge fund in Bitcoin as one, a store of value, and two, a hedge against inflation. Um, Paul Tudor Jones is a, a someone I look up to greatly, and I've had the, the chance to actually sit down and, and meet face-to-face. And so he's someone who I definitely respect and, and an old school investor that coming into this crypto space was extremely bullish. Um, so it's was, it was super interesting now that, you know, we have about 18.3 million of the Bitcoins that are now in circulation. And that leaves only about 2.6 million that are going to be released via these mining rewards. So people generally thought that cutting the supply of Bitcoin and making it harder would cause an increase in price. I think after the first halving, it was about a 4,000 increase in price, which is insane. Yeah. You know, but what came first, the cart or the horse? Yep. The second Bitcoin halving actually had a 1,000% run, which was also insane. So people were actually expecting this to, to cause some type of run-up. And did it. And of course, what happens? Sell the news. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as it happened, everyone sold. And I think it was down like 15 or 20 percent from the highs. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when when everyone knows uh, that an event's going to happen in the marketplace, things are likely, you know, priced in. So um, the bet on Bitcoin is, is really just the digitalization of the market, which is a lot what we're talking about right now is about 70 million people in the world own Bitcoins. And if you're going to buy Bitcoin, what you're essentially betting on is that number is going to grow to, you know, 150 or 200 million people. Um, and in a sense, it's it's still a lot of speculation. Um, but it's definitely an, an interesting subject and, and a way of the future. Yeah, I, it's there's obviously so many other cryptocurrencies out there. And, and Bitcoin is the clear name that everyone knows. But you have other ones that you are able to process these transactions quicker, uh, other ones where certain apps are run on their platforms. And so it, it's an interesting space to see. But, you know, Brett, you said something interesting. You, you mentioned this limited supply of Bitcoin where it's capped. And then you, you talked a little bit as of like a store of value and a uh, hedge against inflation. And, uh, that's been a conversation that has restarted. Uh, especially in the past few weeks with this printing of money. It was a conversation that was very much had in the financial crisis when the Fed lowered interest rates and was pumping substantial money into the economy. And yeah, it's it's coming again. So so what is inflation? Inflation is basically things get more expensive as time goes on. And if you look historically, uh, inflation has been on the trend down, but it's been roughly three and a half uh, to 4% over time. 
Um, and again, it's been substantially diminished now. And, and the question is, is like, okay, if we flood so much money into the economy, people are going to spend that money and they're not going to save that money, <laughs> unfortunately, as we see over and over again. Uh, but we're trying to get you to save that money. But people are going to spend that money and ultimately things are going to get more expensive uh, just because there's just going to be more and more spending going on. And and the argument that we've been discussing a lot is maybe rather than inflation coming, maybe we've actually been fighting deflation this whole time. Because when you look at the past 10 years, we did put pump a bunch of money in the economy. We did lower interest rates substantially lower over a period, long period of time than we've been used to. And we had full employment. We had some slight increase in wages, yet we almost had no inflation. And it's wild because I, I remember in college hearing from my monetary policy professor, like inflation is going to come. And right now, there, there's so many factors that are deflationary, right? So in, in Europe, you obviously have pretty bad demographics and that like people are older and your older demographic is spending less and you got your, you don't have much of a younger demographic that's uh, kind of coming in. But what you do have now, or now more than anything is, you know, getting back to Amazon, you have, you looking at Amazon, just the internet in general, things aren't marked up as much as they used to be, right? Like you look at the cost of a TV, right? Like I, I finally got a new TV. I've been thinking about getting a TV for a while. I jumped between Best Buy, between Amazon, between Costco. And the price that I paid for my TV was, I think, a third of what my parents paid for their TV like 10 years ago. It's, it's, it's wild. And the TV's bigger and the TV's better. And so, so you got Amazon on, on that end and you got just the internet in general and people just are looking for the cheapest price for things, right? And especially like our generation, you know, the, the millennial generation and, and the generation below is like, we, we are so good on the internet and it's so easy to find new information. Like we're looking for it and, you know, companies continue to improve their processes. They can offer things at lower prices and, you know, it's, it's, it's how we didn't have inflation during these past 10 years is wild. And, when we have 15% unemployed right now and these people don't aren't, you know, yes, some are temporarily getting more from unemployment, but we have businesses shut down. We have all this going on. We don't have this exchange of money that's continuously happening. Right. And if people aren't exchanging money back and forth and by money, this can be credit card. It doesn't need to be physical money. Obviously, if we're not having this large continuous exchange of money, how, how can we how can we have inflation like we didn't we didn't see it all before and although rates have still come down even more and you know it it makes it hard to buy government bonds and and be a fixed income investor but we are so used to low rates that you know if a mortgage is a 30 year mortgage is 3.25 or 3.125 
I don't know how much that's going to make that big of a difference on the price of a home versus, you know, when a 30 year mortgage was 5% versus 3%. Yeah. And it's, it's certainly interesting that, you know, technology and like TVs, for example, have come down so far in price with this like deflationary aspect almost. But then we have inflation in some of the most incredible, like important aspects of people's lives, like healthcare and education, right? Somehow we still have 6%, you know, average inflation rate on tuition prices. Um, I saw that, you know, UC uh, tuition was actually set to be the same or a little bit more this year, even though they weren't even planning to go back to school for the first semester. Totally. So it's like, how does that even like it's almost greedy. Oh, it's the, the education system, which we're, we're actually going to get into this. Uh, our company is doing a Zoom next week. I'll be on. I'm talking about this. But the education system is ripe for disruption right now. Right. Why would you pay double the cost for some of these schools when they're going to just be online? You're not getting the same experience. And it's just the the cost benefit isn't really there. It's like these schools that are like private schools that cost $60,000 per year. I mean, I'm worried about those schools. And yes, UCs are substantially more. And, um, you know, a lot of state schools are, are pretty reasonable. And so I think kind of you have this maybe the lower I don't want to say the lower tier, but the cheaper schools and then the Stanford's and Harvard's of the world, probably okay. But, you know, there's a lot of schools in the middle that you're, it's just, it is so ripe for disruption. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's those, you know, tier two schools really that, you know, you don't have the Ivy league name and you're not on the cheaper side. You're kind of somewhat in the middle, but you're more expensive. Um, you know, they've, it, it's just, their time has come. I think that there's no way that they can continue to, to charge this much. Totally. Totally. It's wild. Well, with that, I think I think we'll wrap it up. Um, we definitely expect a bit more volatility in the market and, uh, you know, looking for opportunities to continue to arise. And uh, if you have, ever have any questions, want to discuss what we think in more detail, um, hear more, obviously let us know. Um, you can email Ben or Brad at Gerber Kawasaki. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. Uh, B Siffling Trades for, for Brett and then uh, Ben Dunbar GK uh, for me. And thanks for tuning in. Look forward to hearing, hearing from you soon. See you guys.